And so if you can take certain things that you do and apply them to a business and focus on those things that you do really, really well, then I think you have a really good chance of being successful. Hello, and welcome to The Modern Hotel. You're presented by Stay Flexi, your all-in-one modern operating system for independent hotels. Each episode, we'll get to know an industry expert, and we'll discuss the latest trends in hospitality to help you, The Modern Hotelier. Welcome to The Modern Hotelier, presented by Stay Flexi. I'm your host, David Malilli. And I'm Steve Karen. Steve, who do we have on the program today? David, today we have on Alan Young. Alan is the co-founder of Puzzle Partner. Puzzle Partner is a leading PR and marketing firm focused on the hospitality and travel verticals. He also sits on several hotel and travel technology advisory boards. He's also a professor for the tour and hospitality program at Georgian College. Welcome to the show, Alan. Thank you very much. I'm glad to be here. How are you both doing? Doing good. Doing great. Excellent. Very excited to have you, Alan. So we're going to have three three sections. We're going to get to know you a little bit. We're going to talk about your career, and then we're going to get your thought thoughts on the industry. And like I told you pre-recording, we have a little surprise for you. So we'll get started. So what was your first job? Cutting the tails off of pigs. Really? Yep. Wow. What would you be doing if... <laughs> <laughs> what would you be doing if you weren't in marketing or hospitality marketing? I probably would have gone into the military, to be very honest. Hmm. What's the weirdest thing you've seen in a hotel? A goat. <laughs> Who did you admire growing up? Buzz Aldrin. If you could switch places with someone for a day, who would it be? Living or dead? I'll let you choose. Gandhi. It's hmm. a good one. That's the best piece of advice you've ever received. Focus. Do you have a secret talent that most of us don't know that you have? I play guitar a lot. Uh, what's on your bucket list? Going to Iceland, uh, jumping out of a plane, and eating raw oysters off a mermaid. <laughs> what's, what scares you? That's a good question. I think failure scares me, but... Failure from the unknown scares me more. What's something you wish you were better at? Marketing. <laughs> no, no, no. no. <laughs> uh, fishing. Definitely fishing. Yeah, I've seen the pictures, but you're pretty good. If you could pick one, which one would you be? Batman, Spider-Man, or Superman? Spider-Man. We get a mixed bag on that, but we get a lot of Spider-Mans. His movies are so fun. They're so fun. It's fun. All right, so now this is where we throw a little surprise at you. So we're going to play a quick round of Family Feud, the final part of Family Feud. <laughs> if you get okay. the number one answer on each three questions, we'll donate $100, right. $100 to the charity of your choice from Stay Flexi. So Steve okay. is going to track the answers, even though it's three. My memory is not that great. Are you ready? <laughs> yep. Name something you might see a commercial for during a baseball game. Underarm deodorant. Name something that might get rained out. A baseball game. Name a term used in, a, in the game of bowling. Strike. Yeah, that's pretty good. Those are pretty good. So the first one, you said deodorant, right, Steve? Yep. That was not one of the answers. Number one is car <laughs> or truck. That was the number one. Name something that might get rained out. You got that right, sporting event. And you got the next one right. Name a term used in the game of bowling. Strike. So, so, so the difference is the fact that I'm up here in Canada 
And our commercials aren't the same as yours. So we get a lot of Old Spice commercials, like a lot, <laughs> during ball games, hockey games, and okay. CFL games. So. That's fair. Okay, we'll, we'll donate the $100. We'll get the charity. <laughs> we'll get the charity. Um, we'll get the charity from you offline. Okay, good. There it's all go. yours, Steve. Pulls the Canadian card. I love it. I love it. So now, now this is a part of the show where we get to know you a little bit more, Alan. Um, so you were born in Montreal. Is that correct? That's correct. Awesome. Feel awesome. Like I'm being interrogated. Awesome. Feel awesome. Like I'm being interrogated. <laughs> How did that shape you growing up to who you are today? Well, I was an Anglophone in, in Quebec, so it's really weird. I was born fairly early and many, many moons ago. And during my time in Quebec, I was very young, but there was something called the FLQ crisis that came on in the 1970s where our prime minister brought in something called the War Measures Act which enabled all of the military to basically take over cities because there was a terrorist group that really wanted the French language to become prominent and the only language to be spoken in Quebec. So I guess what it's done, and that's kind of a, a drastic kind of visual, but I guess what it's done is it's created, you know, the world's very cosmopolitan. And when you look at Quebec as a whole, it's a two-language province. French is the prominent language today. But also there's a certain kind of cosmopolitan nature to the entire field of the cities, et cetera. And what it taught me was, hey, not, not everybody's the same. You've got to be able to listen. you got to be able to learn. And uh, to this day, I still kind of do that when I travel. But uh, I think it was a great education growing up in that environment. Absolutely. Absolutely. You lived in quite a few different places as well, right? You lived in Australia, Bermuda, the Bahamas, and California as well. Did you have a favorite? Bermuda, bar none. Bar none? Why, what, what about Bermuda? Well, I was there working for Digital Systems Bahamas, which was at that time was selling the micro suite of products. It was kind of my first foray into hotel and hospitality technology. But what was really cool about the island was, other than wearing shorts and silly socks, which everybody has to wear yeah. there, and a suit to work, after work, I would go back to where I was living, you know, stripped down to the my bathing suit and snorkel for the rest of the oh, day. Wow. So it was, it was idyllic. It was a little bit smaller. It was less politically oriented than it is today. But back in those days, it was, it was fantastic. It was... Uh, it was like living on vacation constantly. It was phenomenal. And we were lucky because we, we had a great product and we were also doing digital system stuff at the same time. And so I got to see every aspect of the island and meet everybody there, which was fabulous. That's awesome. Do you have a favorite memory from there or um, anything like that? Hurricane Frederick, probably. My first hurricane. It's favorite because it, I was... Uh, dating a woman who was running, who was the CFO at a property called the Lantana Properties or Resorts or something. And during the hurricane, we all got together as a group of employees and the owners and everybody. And it was pretty awesome, pretty scary, yeah. but it was really interesting. Everybody brought their families together and we boarded up and stuck together for a day and a half. And it was a pretty awesome experience. Wow. Awesome. Yeah, it is something you want to forget there. Yeah, I was Hurricane Andrew, so I had this very similar thing. It was scary, but you felt like this... Everybody was like together and kind of protecting each other. So you went to Bishop Ridley College, correct? Bishop Ridley College. Is there anything that you did, any outside, you know, sports or any extracurricular events, things you did? Y yeah, I played varsity basketball. I was a point guard in basketball. 
It was a British-oriented college, so I played cricket, which was a blast, believe it or not. And I was also on the tennis team. So those are the three things that we did. And funnily enough, my 40th 40th reunion is this month, later on this month. Awesome. Yeah. What was How your favorite you get- sport? Oh, sorry. Sorry, David. Go ahead. I just was wondering what sport was your favorite or or what one you you were best at out of all the three Bas- of those? Basketball. basketball. Yeah. Any, any, did your game take after anybody's? Oh, God, no. There was nobody <laughs> around back then. You know, literally, there was, you'd watch the game on TV every once in a while, but, you know, it wasn't wasn't like there was social media that, that you were getting pounded by LeBron stuff all the time. Hey, I didn't know if you, you know, had like a... A Canadian streetball legend that you looked up to or something like that. No, maybe no. a Canadian curling legend, but okay. not a streetball okay. legend. Okay. <laughs> um, so your passion for cars, motorcycles, where did that come from? It's all my wife's fault. When I turned a specific age, she sent me on a trip to go race cars for a while, which was a blast. And I got the bug. Wow. And then all of a sudden, I uh, started sponsoring cars that raced uh, the IMSA series in the U.S. and Canada. And uh, my son and I got racing go-karts that we played around with. And then I was lucky during one of my jobs in four, and I worked for them for a while, they were sponsoring the Ferrari F1 team. And I was part of that massive marketing department. So I was lucky enough to go and go to some of the races and stuff and meet some of the drivers. And that was awesome. But it's always been a passion, uh, you know, Sunday mornings in Canada, usually we're watching a race. Awesome. Have you ever done any extreme races at all? No. No, no other than I did what's called enduro cross motorcycle, which is like running up hills and going through forests and stuff and yeah, broken bones and things like that. So uh, <laughs> now you were involved in Scora as well, right? That's a riders association. So a bunch of, it's a whole bunch of old guys that can afford motorcycles Okay, <laughs> that believe we're a lot younger than we are. And we go into the woods and uh, race the hell out of them. So, yes, there's about 3,000 members in that group. It's all around where I live. So we have trails and about 400 kilometers of trails that we use. So it's pretty cool. I don't do it anymore. I gave up my bike this year. But, yeah, it was a lot of fun. Very cool. Very cool. So after you graduated from Bishop Ridley College, what did you do? Did you get into hospitality right away and get into marketing right away or did you? So Bishop Ridley College, I have to go back, is a boarding school. Mm -hmm. It was kind of like an English boarding school. There was a vein of the military aspect to it and sports and stuff like that. So it wasn't a college, as you would say, in the U.S. Mm -hmm. So I went to university in Canada and that lasted for about six months, I guess, because I drank too much beer and watched Days of Our Lives constantly. <laughs> um, so from there, I got right into the hotel business, um, literally. My brother was nice enough. He was working with a company called Four Seasons, and he was nice enough to find me a gig. And so that's how I started. I got right into it. I didn't, you know, there's no papers behind me, so to speak. Yeah. What was your position? What was your job? I did too. I was the mini bar guy. Okay. And did night audit. Very cool. Very cool. Yeah. You advise for a few companies. You're an advisor to several companies. I'm very interested in this answer because I do some advisory work also. What's the most rewarding part of doing that for you? Giving people advice and actually them acting on it, I guess, is, is yeah. rewarding because a lot of times you give people advice and they don't do it, which is normal, right? I give people advice all the time and they don't work and kind of follow it through. But I think it's giving them advice, seeing it acted upon, and then seeing it, you know, the outcomes of that 
from an advisory perspective, a lot of time you're talking to the CEO or the ownership group or stuff like that, as you know, and that doesn't necessarily filter down to the people on the front lines. But when you're talking with startups, you know, those people are also on the front lines. So that to me is something that uh, at least all the hard work and effort you've put into your career and you give somebody advice and it works. It's like, whew, yeah, thank no, goodness I, I, that pulled, I was able to pull that up. <laughs> you uh, co-founded Puzzle Partner. How did that that idea yeah. came to be? And you know, what was that process like of get, starting your own company? Uh, it was a complete fluke. So at the time, I was working for that big, huge company called Infor. Mm-hmm. And I was traveling a lot to the point of I thought I would completely miss my son growing up. I felt I needed a bit of a change and I wasn't sure. And I've been lucky enough to surround myself with mentors during my career. And I was talking to one of them and they said, you know, maybe you need to take what you've learned and figure out how to apply it. But also at that time, I was sitting on the advisory boards of a few companies and they were constantly pinging me for marketing advice and sales advice and all this kind of stuff, which I thought was great. But by complete luck, my partner, who is the bedrock of our business, her name is Ivana Johnston. She was in charge of marketing over at a property management systems and CRS and a whole bunch of other stuff company called Northwind Maestro out of Toronto. And she was just leaving her job. And I think, if I remember correctly, I was playing golf with Warren, who runs Maestro, and he told me about Ivana might be looking to do something different. And so the two of us chatted and I took those advisory positions and moved them over into clients. And so they were the first clients of Puzzle Partner. And that's kind of how we started. Literally, we didn't sit down with a business plan and say, let's go ahead and do this. We're going to take over this world and do that. But yeah, that's how it started. It was a bit of a fluke. Awesome. There's other out, others out there. I think you're the best. I'm not just saying that because you're on the, the show. But <laughs> what do you think makes Puzzle Thanks. Partners different from some of these other marketing companies? Well, I agree with you. I think there's some awesome ones out there that do a great job. And a lot of them have a great deal of knowledge of what's going on in the industry and apply themselves accordingly. We've become fairly formulaic in our approach to trying to generate visibility interest and and thus top line, top of the funnel kind of interest in the company. But it really is about ensuring that the messaging and content is correct. So by having incredible writers that we work with, that enables us to create content that I think resonates with the market. And I think that's been our success point is by leveraging really, really smart people within our own company to create amazing content that helps our clients gain notoriety, visibility, and thus pipeline. And we keep a fairly small stable of clients. I'm not in the market to grow this thing crazy and then have lots of employees been there, done that. So we also pride ourselves on keeping our client roster at a fairly steady state, but then that enables us to focus on them and give them the attention that they deserve because they're paying us to to help them out. Yeah, and what I like you know, in working with you is that you know you're also concerned about the sales, the end result. Whereas I've actually been in companies where even the internal marketing departments don't ask questions about sales. So that can be frustrating when you're in those situations. So that's one of the things I see that you know is enjoyable. Marketing and sales have to be completely aligned, and and in larger companies they're not right. And even in smaller companies, they're not. But marketing has become a substantial amount of science related to, you know, clicks and you name it to ensure the fact that you're gaining visibility. But our industry is kind of goofy because it's incestuous, it's myopic, 
And there are lots of people that know lots of people in our industry. So you've got to make sure that you leverage all of that, you know, amazing infrastructure to also help clients out at the same time. So we steal a lot of stuff. Basically, we steal it from other smart (laughs) industries and apply it to our industry. That's about it. Hey, it's working. It's working. Yeah, there you go. It's good. It's good. So what advice would you give to somebody who's looking to maybe go out on their own like you did and, and start their own company? Don't do it when you're 20 because you want to be able to buy a house at some point. But I think, you know, utilize the strengths that you have in order to add value to your target, right? I think that really is it. And as I said, you asked me a question earlier on and I said my answer was focus. Throughout my career, not throughout, probably halfway through, there was a gentleman that I respected a great deal and and he was talking startups and all that kind of stuff. And it was focus, focus, focus. And I've kind of lived that ever since. And so if you can take certain things that you do and apply them to a business and focus on those things that you do really, really well, then I think you have a really good chance of being successful. What I find is when companies diversify so much in their product offering that they kind of lose touch with who they were and what their focus and vision should have been. So it does seem like our industry is kind of headed towards there's a lot of these companies that are trying to be everything to everyone, kind of. Oh my they're goodness. Gobbling up all these companies, which um, ends up always resulting in they're not good at any one of those things, or maybe just their original core product they're good at. So it's a good point. Well, yeah. And there's not a lot of land and occupy kind of mentality, right? Yeah. Which used to be the way you would walk through the door with a great property management system and sell it or a great CRS and sell it. And then you build the trust and the relationship with the client. And then through that trust and relationship, you could build other things for them, or maybe you already had them in your kitty and they would buy them from you. And it was kind of land and expand. A lot of companies, unless they have the technological wherewithal are going to have a very challenging time to build it all and then deliver it all because our industry doesn't like to eat that way. What are issues that you're seeing, you know, from your side, from the marketing side's perspective that, you know, maybe folks in our industry are having problem with? With the hospitality technology side of things, we're getting into discussions about machine learning, artificial intelligence, deep learning, metaverse, and now it's getting wilder and wilder. When you start peeling away the layers of each one of those elements, it's fairly complicated. And even the development you know, deployment, implementation, et cetera, of a property management system is very intricate and complicated. And I think technologists at time try to make the messaging too complicated. They try to tell the marketplace how great they are from a technology perspective, but they don't necessarily tell the marketplace how wonderful they are related to the business element of what they offer to the market and how that can be advantageous. Now, you do see some companies doing that these days, for sure, but... I still think companies need to simplify their messaging because the audience, the decision-making audience now is incredibly broad. Simplify your messaging. I feel like that kind of goes to almost like the Instagram or TikTok phase. Like you have to keep your messaging short, simple, concise. So it's easy to understand. And that's that, you know? Oh, for sure. For sure. You know, rifling through any one of those images or videos, you know, people's brains are getting rewired and we don't even know it right? They're getting physically rewired. And you have that consumption of of information, which people get pretty goofy about. But then you also have the element of a pandemic that just occurred. 
and people are their expectations once again they've been educated and taught and trained how to do something differently and i think our industry is going to have to figure out exactly what that is have you seen marketing and how companies are marketing change since you've started puzzle partner or even before that oh yeah i think you're right steven i think there's a whole bunch of Differing types of media out there that people are now starting to acclimate themselves with. And thus companies, you know, I believe wholeheartedly that every company that sells something into a market should be its own media company these days. There's no reason why you can't. And as such, I think that whole evolution is, has changed. The consumer is, is changing all the time and, and we've got to keep up with it. But. If you look at a huge quantum shift, the quantum shift was, you know, going from faxes to email marketing, from email marketing to social media marketing, and who knows where it's going to go next, right? It's pretty wild. It's, it's tough to keep up. Yeah, absolutely. There was one thing that you said earlier that I just want to go back to. You talked about how you've had mentors throughout your career. Can you talk about kind of how important that was to you and kind of how your mentors have helped you get to where you are today? And then kind of my follow-up question on that is, how do you get a mentor? What is your, I guess, from your experience or any advice you have for, you know, folks like me or other younger folks out there that don't have 20, 30 years of experience? How do we find somebody that's a good fit for us? So I've always gotten them once again, just through sheer kind of proximity. Okay. You know, you start working with people, you find people that you know, you find people that you like, and all of a sudden they bring a completely different viewpoint to something that you don't have. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think you say, hi, you know, my name's Alan and I need a mentor. (laughs) Uh, But I do think that that's kind of how it works. Larry Hall, who's since passed, was an amazing mentor to me. And we fought like cats and dogs. And there were times that we didn't like each other, but to be very honest, it was, he brought a sense to me and there were challenging times, startups, et cetera. That's kind of how Larry and I worked together, but he brought a sense of calm. I think when I was kind of running off the rails at times. And I think that's what a a lot of times a mentor can do is they kind of recenter you and help you out. So from that perspective, Larry always did that for me. If I was losing my mind, he was there. For younger people, I, I, I would use the same road. I'd, I'd find people that you like to hang out with, find people that maybe have some more experience. But one thing I've learned is people much younger than I can be a whole lot smarter. So sometimes those relationships can be symbiotic in, in nature for sure. But if there's people within your orbit that you you know want to hook yourself onto for a while, just ask them, can we have a call every few weeks? And, you know, I'd like to give you an update on what I'm doing and I'd like to hear what you're doing. And then just for those conversations, you know, they start giving you advice and, and guidance, et cetera. But sometimes it flows the other way. I found it, it definitely does. I'm learning a lot from, from the younger folks these days, more than I ever thought I would. Now moving into the last section here where we're talking about industry trends, kind of what your thoughts are on best practices, things like that. But one thing I'd like to get your thoughts on, besides getting a mentor, what's your advice for somebody who's just getting into the hospitality industry, whether that's hospitality or the hospitality tech side as well? Just getting into it? Yeah. Plan on working a heck of a lot and enjoy (laughs) your work. The hospitality industry has to be part of your blood. If you're looking to the hospitality industry as a job, then that's going to be problematic because it's about service, right? And you've got to also make sure that you you put your ego in in your pocket as a provider of service 
and make sure the fact that you're there to help other people enjoy themselves. So to me, that's the essence of our industry and try to build long lasting relationships if you can with the people that happen to cross your paths. With the hospitality technologies industry, and this is, this is my big myth. If you're going to go into hospitality technology, understand hospitality. <laughs> like, yeah. don't go into it because you stayed in a hotel a few times and thought you have it down. Right. So, right. yeah, no, I've heard, yeah. I've, I've one person, I said, so why did you um, build a property management system? What got you into that? And he said, oh, I was checking in to a hotel and the guy behind the desk was complaining about his system. And I just thought, how hard could it be to make a better one? <laughs> and it was like, exactly. wow. I was like, okay. <laughs> it's really wild. And there was a great guy in Toronto. I'm not going to plug his company because I don't think that's the right thing to do, but I will plug his idea. If you think about all the pools in the world in hotels, there's a lot of them. And the utilization of pools is like early in the morning and in the evening. So the pools are vacant during the day. And this guy, he was a lifeguard at the local, you know, public pool. And he started teaching people on the side. And so he said, but I can't teach enough people. My roster is full because I don't have a place to teach them. So he started going to hotels and asking if he could rent their pool from... 10 o'clock in the morning till four o'clock in the afternoon and give swimming lessons. And I don't know how well he's doing now, but what he did was take something that was applicable to our industry, but wasn't necessarily part of the overall infrastructure. So he was then able to go ahead and give money to hoteliers for their pool that they got to heap and keep and keep it clean and all that stuff, even if people aren't using it. And he gave them a bit of a revenue stream and he gave himself a revenue stream because he had a stable of people that were his instructors. And so he used pools all over Toronto where he was teaching people how to swim, which is great. So I do think you can come into the industry if it's not too disruptive to the overall bedrock infrastructure of our space. But if, you, if you're going to start playing around with property management systems or CRSs or channel management or even POS, you can't take a retail POS and plug it into a, a restaurant, then you've got to really understand what's going on. So the thought process behind this podcast was for people to get to know people like you who are very active on LinkedIn. So, you know, you mm -hmm. see people, Max has been on the show where you might say, wow, this guy's really grumpy. What's wrong with what he woke up on the wrong side of the bed? <laughs> but then you meet him and you talk to him and you're like, well, he's just really passionate. He's got a strong opinion and yeah. he cares. Yeah. He really does. And you, we learned about his background and learned a lot of things that, that I didn't know. So, And he's supposed to be retired, right? I don't know like what he's doing, but he's very busy. It's the equivalent of the LinkedIn of somebody getting the, the guy sitting on the porch and the ball goes into that neighbor's yard. <laughs> He's that guy on LinkedIn. <laughs> um, That's right. That's right. So specifically on LinkedIn and really just amongst us at trade shows, outside of COVID and labor issues, what should we be talking about that we're not talking about? Anger. And the reason I say anger well, maybe that's too strong of a word. I guess I could change it to change, period, the word change. Yeah. People's mindsets have changed. People's expectations have changed, both as operators of hotels, as employees of hotels, and as guests of hotels. And what I find really, really interesting is the blowback that our frontline employees are receiving in the industry from people that their expectations are pretty high. And the airline industry is, is very similar. So the risk mitigation part of that whole dynamic better be vetted fairly well because... 
there's an election coming up, a midterm election. There's going to be a general election in two years. We have the same thing up here in Canada. There's a, a substantial divide in Canada between ideologies and vision, etc. And I think that is going to change people's way of doing business. We're even seeing it up here where there's one group of people only doing business with that group of people because of the divisive nature. And our industry, I think, has got to deal with that anger and that change in individuals and understand how to do it. So I think the hotel industry needs to really get on the risk mitigation bandwagon and try to figure out how do they train their employees to deal with these types of clients that maybe they never had to deal with before. How do they make sure that their employees are safe? How do they make sure their guests are safe? It's not a great thing to discuss, to be very honest, but I think it's going to become front and center. Our industry should be about fun, going out and enjoying ourselves or doing business, right? I get it. But I do think there's a change and we're even seeing it, you know, I'll give you an example. My wife and I were talking about this the other day, coming back from a restaurant, the way people in my little town up here in North of Toronto drive, it's gotten crazy. Over, it is, it's nuts. <laughs> and there's no, yeah. Because people have just gotten more aggressive. Before we were taught growing up, driving, defensive driving, because got to be careful. You got to be defensive driving because people are driving as if their life depends on it for some reason. And if that's the mentality behind the wheel, and I think that's gaining momentum all over the place within different what people do, then it's going to trickle down into our industry. And so we better be ready for it. Absolutely. I don't want to belabor the point, but I do think we try to go ahead and talk about personalization in our industry, which I think is very important. You know, understanding the preferences of what Alan wants to buy versus what Alan wants to buy when he's doing something different. I get that. But then we also have to understand personalities. And I think that is going to be really, really interesting. And maybe the introduction of AI will help us do that. And maybe there'll be somebody that will come in and say, okay, based upon Alan's rants on this platform or that platform, and he's coming into your hotel room, your hotel, heads up. Who knows? But I do think that a lot of the stuff that's going on out there is weird. We have a client that basically is involved in employee safety with panic buttons and, and all of that kind of stuff. And it's crazy what clients are seeing out there, dramatically so pre-pandemic. Yeah, I think that'll be interesting to see how the industry grabs hold. What's one of the best ways that hotels can either utilize technology to create a better guest experience or also bring in more revenue as well? Well, creating a better guest experience in my point of view is once again, just making the guest happy with whatever they want. I think at the end of the day, the guest experience is changing and it's changing dynamically all the time. Uh, and it really depends upon location. It depends upon uh, specific needs, wants, and desires. And it depends upon the type of travel. So there's lots of great companies out there that are now developing technology to kind of deal with those scenarios where they can deliver things to the guest, whether that's things that the guests didn't know they needed, but they wanted. And so, you know, the hotel can offer that to them. Or conversely, if a hotel could just greet me by name, I would be happy, so happy. So it could be that simple in creating great guest engagement and a great experiences by just recognizing the guest for whom they are. But when it comes to driving revenue, 
that's where it gets really interesting because a lot of the primary systems that we have in the marketplace, they were never set up to drive revenue. They were set up to monitor revenue. So there are lots of players out there like Norwon with Oracle and Room Decks and those guys that are trying to drive revenue, which I think all makes sense. But what they're doing is there's no rocket surgery there, as I mangle my metaphors. It's just an extension of what they should already be doing. So if you can give you the guests the choice and make them happy, then you're going to drive more revenue and giving them the choice of what they want to do, giving them the choice of where they can do it. It doesn't have to be on property. It can be within the surrounding location, all these different things. But if anything, it's giving the the guests the choice to do what they want to do, whether it's high touch, low touch, whether they want to buy in-house, out of house, whether they want something delivered or they want, you know, a new pair of flip-flops. If there's a way to do it, then a hotel should be able to do it. And if they can pull that off, then they'll make money and make people happy. Absolutely. And it's all about the choice, right? And I love that you said that because some guests don't want anything. They just want to go to their hotel room and chill out and that's it. But other guests want to customize their experience, build a hyper-local experience or add things onto their site throughout it. And it's all about giving that choice. So I love that choice, like that choice of words. Uh, (laughs) I love that. That's great. Alan, we had a conversation before high tech and you made a great observation that I shared with many, many people how there was really only one robot, robotic type vendor at the show. And yet when I walked around, I at least saw two or three people selling in-room phones, which still I don't understand how in 2022 you would exhibit a a 10 by 20 booth for a a guest phone, which I haven't picked up one. The only time you ever pick up one is when there's something really wrong. So what trend, and that might have been it, your observation, but what trend or upcoming trend do you think is kind of here to stay in hospitality? I think it's going to be hotels that there's nobody right, and not an Airbnb. It's going to be a physical structure that we all deem that we know it's a hotel, but it's going to be autonomous. Right. And the only people that we will see on that property are people that will assist us. Maybe I wouldn't say concierge because that's probably too highfalutin, a guide, somebody yeah. that can kind of help us if we have questions and security and housekeeping, unless there's an F&B outlet. There's a company in Finland right now running five properties with four FTEs. So that's unbelievable, right? He's built the system himself. Everything's automated. The guest arrives. They know what they're doing. They open the room. They know, they understand the expectation. This is what they're getting. So I think there will be at some point a market segment that will be devoted solely to the autonomous kind of hotel. You know, you've got pods and those kind of things going on and people are digging that. And it's not too different. But when you look at the infrastructure of a hotel, the infrastructure is pretty nuts. And if you can go ahead and labor is the biggest piece of the equation, if you can utilize the infrastructure in order through technology to deliver the guests what they need, whether that's, you know, casting or really super duper Wi-Fi and all that kind of stuff, and all of those needs are met, And if they know that's what they're getting, that's the type of hotel they've chosen, then you're not going to have the expectation slap in the face. I think there are lots of companies, Ambridge could be working with this, other companies that, you know, have properties that they want to reflag, deflag, do whatever, and go ahead and do something different. Because if anything, the consumer has showed us the fact that they're quite capable of managing their own world. And thus... Our industry should embrace that and let them do it. And it should be, you know, 
it's not luxury. It's not limited service. It's like no service plus a little bit. Sure. And you mentioned that like there is a market for this. What's going to be that final pushing point? Is it going to be one of these, you think, larger groups or brands that shows us, hey, this is going to happen? Or do you think it's going to come from a new player that's going to come in and say, hey, these are new type of hotels and this is what we do? I think if it's an innovative brand enough or one that's willing to take a risk, you could see that. But I think more likely it's going to be somebody that comes in and gives our industry a good punch in the face. And I think it's just because how they're managing the overall revenue and capitalization of their entire company and what they're doing and their infrastructure and their people and all that kind of stuff. I think it's probably going to be a new player, but I've made a lot of prognostications in the past and I haven't even been close. So I do believe that this is coming and uh, Europe, it'll probably hit first in Europe just because they're more open, Mm -hmm. but I could definitely see a 150 room property in a downtown core do this tomorrow and probably fully booked. I think you're 100% right. I don't, I don't think the, the ownership groups or the management companies are incentivized to do it, but I think it's going to be somebody who's owned hotels, who's tired of paying right. either you know whatever fees or the staffing issues. So yeah, I agree 100%. Yeah, because there's so much stuff you can outsource, yeah. right? There's okay. just so yeah. much stuff and at a much, much lower price point than if you had to do it internally. And kind of along that future technology How do you think the metaverse and Web3 are going to affect hospitality? Jeez, I should probably find an emoji or something to answer that question. (laughs) We can Um, plug one in Yeah, we can do that. John? (laughs) (laughs) I think the older you get, the less you believe it's going to happen, to be very, very honest. I think it's a seasonal thing, if if I can say it nicely. I personally wouldn't even think about doing it, but that's just because that's me. Right. I see my 18 year old son online doing things I never thought were capable online. So I think the adoption of the metaverse is going to happen. I don't think any of us knows truly how it's going to be adopted or what industry verticals are going to successfully drive that side of the business for them. But I'm so far out of the loop that it's really hard for me to answer the question because when I start seeing emojis or people walking around on the screen and I know they're not there and I know I could talk to them on the phone or see them in a Zoom call or whatever, I don't know why we've taken them from here and stuck them there. But I also don't know why I'm going to pay for clothing over there that I've got to put on something that's (laughs) not real and yeah. I, I, see, I, uh, once again, yeah. I think it's an age thing, <laughs> yeah. but it confuses the hell out of me. But our industry, hopefully, hopefully somebody in our industry will run with it and yeah. do amazing things. But I am not close enough at, other than to tell you I, you know, I have no idea other than the fact that I know I wouldn't do it. Fair right. enough. Fair enough. Yeah. So no, no yeah, puzzle partner t-shirt for your avatar. <laughs> that's what it is. Avatar. avatar I kept on saying gotcha. emoji. Yeah. My bad. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. The the only avatar I've ever had was on my son's Wii. Yeah, and uh, and from what I'm seeing, a lot of the metaverse avatars look yeah. very similar to the Wii ones. <laughs> a little similar, yeah. a little similar. So, like, uh, yeah, I yeah, would, yeah. Everybody's everybody's. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Yeah, I would say that would be the one thing I've been disappointed. I don't know if that's the right word, but it would, like to your point, you see some of these avatars, and you're like, really, that's as good as it. You know, this is the, supposed to be a whole like new world. And then I guess I kind of get it because I got a 14 year old and he was into Minecraft and it's like, these graphics are horrible. Like, what are you doing? This is like 
worse than in television or Atari, like back in the day. And he's in there for hours, you know, building stuff. And I'm like, man, the graphics have gotten so good. You're in, you're playing with this. So, you know, what's really interesting about that. I was just at the college before I came here and we were, we kick off college next week. I was talking to some other people that teach there as well. And one of the things we're going to be doing at the end of this semester is making our students present and present as groups. It's a sustainability class. And so last year, and I wasn't around last year, this is my first year teaching. One of the groups basically said, no, we're not going to present. And they said, no, because they just didn't feel comfortable. But I do believe the metaverse makes people feel more comfortable because it's not them standing up in front of something and doing whatever. And maybe once again, to how our world is changing so dramatically, there's a substantial segment of the market I would imagine that doesn't feel comfortable talking in front right. of people or meeting people or doing all that kind of stuff. And thus maybe the metaverse will give them the capability to do stuff. That's fantastic that maybe they wouldn't have done walking down the street or sitting up in front of a classroom. Absolutely. It's crazy. I love the Wii. I don't know where it's gone, yes. but it's, it's gone. <laughs> I miss playing it's, tennis. And bowling. Yeah, it was good. It was good. Unless you didn't have the <laughs> strap on your arm. Um, and you yeah. let it fly. <laughs> Broken <laughs> TV. Right. Too. That's right. So we're, we're, we're basically at the, the end, Alan. Is there anything that we didn't uh, talk about that you think we should talk about while we have you? No, other than I think what you guys are doing is awesome. Uh, you know, our industry is all about people. And if we don't keep on talking to each other in a way that people like, dislike, or can go ahead and give them their two cents worth, I think it's great what you're doing. And I'm glad travel's back, and I'm glad I'm going to be traveling again and all that kind of stuff. I live up here in Canada, so as I said, we were stuck up here for two years. I hope people never lose sight of the fact that that's what our industry is all about, people and relationships. Right. So uh, that's the only thing I would say. Appreciate People that. Relationships. There we go. Yeah, this is the part where you can plug. Tell us how to find where we should go for puzzle partner or anything else you want to plug or any event you're going to be going to that people should come find you. Well, because we couldn't get the dot com for our website because somebody who had more money than I did had it. It's just puzzlepartner.co yeah. or puzzlepartner.ca. Okay. And it's not puzzle partners with an S. I know. I always, I used to always, I used to always do that. It's like people misspelling my name. Yeah. yeah you used to I do, used to do it all the time. Because I was thinking of you and your team. So I always thought there's more like. <laughs> right. Anyway. Right. Got it. No, it was funny. It's, it's, uh, it's like spelling my name incorrectly. You can spell it 23 different ways. But, uh, but yes, puzzlepartner.co. Yeah. Reach out to us. And if you've got some interesting stuff you want to market, maybe we can help. It sounds good. That brings us to the end of the Modern Hotel. You're presented by, by Stay Flexi. I want to thank you, Alan, for your friendship and for joining the program. And we had a good time. Yeah, well, thank you so much. And thanks, uh, Steve. It's been a pleasure. And, thank you, uh, Alan. I'll see you all on the road soon. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> Looking forward to it. All right. Okay. Cheers. You made it to the end of the Modern Hotel. Thanks for listening. Make sure to subscribe and follow wherever you listen to your podcast. The Modern Hotelier is produced by Make More Media and presented by Stay Flexi. Stay Flexi is your modern operating system for independent hotels. If you're interested in learning more about Stay Flexi, you can go to stayflexi.com. Or if you'd rather talk to me instead, feel free to shoot me a message on LinkedIn or email me at steve.karen at stayflexi.com. Thanks and have a great day.